Hello. Hello, John. Oh, hi, Dan. Where are you? <clears throat> Seattle. Seattle, Washington. I mean, more specifically than that. I'm sitting at my... Uh, so, so my giant podcasting table. Yeah. I was at an Ikea. Yeah, I just... I just uh, Dropped uh, a grand at Ikea getting new oh, furniture for, for this new office. Whoa. Yeah, I'm not happy about it, but it had to, had to be done. Well, I try not to go there, but, you know, of course I have a child and, and the, my child has a mother and, and Ikea ends up being on the, on the plate sometimes. Yeah. I go for the meatballs. I've never was, eaten anything from there. Is it good? I've heard about the horse, oh. the horse meat issue, but that didn't just, dis- if anything, that made me want to go. Mm-hmm not 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 want to go it is the kind of good let me put it this way if you were in college you went to college i did yeah if you were in college and you were uh you were in line at the at the dining hall because you ate surely at the eight at the dining hall as little as possible but yes you're in the you're in, the, in line at the dining hall you pick up your tray and you say uh to the person in front of you or behind you like what's uh what's What's food? What's the food today? Right. The quote unquote food. What's the food? Yeah. And a lot, maybe there are young people in the, that are listening that, uh, that always had a choice of what to eat. They probably went to high schools where there were vending machines, or maybe you, you got to walk up and order something like a hamburger or you, you got to get what you want. You know what I mean? I, it's possible. I don't know, I don't know if, how people live today. Anything about that. I just, with mine, you it, know, was, it was one thing. That's what you got or you didn't eat that day. Yeah, it was like prison. You could say, what's the food? And then you'd walk down a line and there'd be a glop of this and a glop of that. Right. So let's say you're in line in the dining hall and the person in front of you says, Swedish meatballs. Mm. Now, what would you be excited or would you not be excited? Not not at all. Not even slightly. Well, see, I would, I would be I would excited. Be, I would be put off and probably go elsewhere. <laughs> no, I would say Swedish meatballs because I love Swedish meatballs. And so then you would get up there and there'd be the person and you'd say, can I have, so I would say, mm-hmm. as they blopped on some noodles, I would say, can I have extra noodles? And they would go, oh, okay. And they'd put extra noodles. And then you'd go down to the next person. They'd glop on some Swedish meatballs. And I would say, can I have some extra Swedish meatballs? And Ikea lets you make those choices. Can I have some extra Swedish meatballs? It's right there. It's enshrined on the menu. Extra Swedish meatballs, a dollar and a quarter or something. And the the quality of them is precisely food service meatballs from 1987. Okay. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? For me, I think food service meatballs in the 80s were probably better than food service meatballs in the 90s or 2000s. But maybe food service meatballs now have come turned a corner and they're better. I don't know. Anyway, these are, you know, they're, they're coated in a kind of sour creamy cream i'll go to ikea just for the meatballs now i won't do it every month Mm -hmm. i'll go to ikea twice a year if you say like we'll get meatballs so i was at this ikea and at the end of the day and i'm i i walk through there i look at everything i touch everything but i don't i never get anything and on the way out because i'm with my family i look over in the Cause there's an area that where it's where they sell like damaged stuff or discontinued stuff, stuff with little scrapes on it. Right. Someone dropped something and decided yeah. they didn't want it, but it's perfectly good if you can live with a dent. Right. Or it's, sometimes it's, sometimes it's actually the stuff is destroyed and I can't even believe they're trying to sell it, but you know, 
but let the buyer beware. So I walk over, I'm just poking around because you never know if you're going to find in situations like that, there could be a vintage pair of NS tens in there for $84. And I'd be like, what? How did yeah, these right. even get here? Sure. And you just, you'd get them, you know, there, that's unlikely, but so I'm walking and there's a giant table, like a dining room table, size dining room table with two leaves and it's probably three feet across by nine feet long. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it's, and it, and it's not, it's not made out of like mahogany. It's, it's, it's laminated sort of stuff, you know, it's not the, it, but it's, but it's meant to be a grand table in someone's home and it has a scratch on it and it's $120. And I said, $120, you know, it's marked down from a thousand bucks or something. Cause it's a bit of a noticeable scratch across the top of it. Mm-hmm. And because it's a, because it's a laminated or a veneered piece of furniture, you can't just, it's not going to buff out. No way. This is, this is a, 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 a career ending injury. Yes, it has, it has, uh, it's an ACL tear. <laughs> right. It's, it's a big gap. You're not just out for the season. You're out period. You're yeah. done. But I don't care. All, all I want is a big. All I want is a big place to spread out. And so, so um, for whatever reason, and this happens some somewhat regularly. I was coming from one place. My little family was coming from somewhere else. So we were in two cars. And uh, so I walked them out to their car and said, "Okay, you guys, you know, see you later, kiss the baby, so forth." And they drive off. And then I like pretty like secret secret mission. I run back in. I buy this giant table and I'm in my truck. And then, I mean, this table is the type of table that requires four people to move. Big. But this is one of those things. I guess I've never talked about this mm. anywhere, but I am someone who likes to move big pieces of furniture by himself in the middle of the night. <laughs> I don't know why I, I don't know why that's in my that's in my DNA. No, no one is surprised by this, John. But I am constantly doing things like moving a couch down a flight of stairs by myself <laughs> in the middle of the night. Yeah. And I'm, and, I, and I'm always like, like halfway down the stairs, my entire body braced against this giant heavy couch. And I'm thinking, what am I doing? What am I doing? But I needed to move it now. And so I just, I just do it. I muscle it, I muscle it down the stairs and I'm, And then, you know, by the next morning, like it's all fixed. And I have a, I have a lady friend that, that, uh, comes and visits me sometimes. And she was a very small person. And one time she was visiting and I woke up in the morning and was wandering around and she was, I think she was leaving that day. And, and, um, and she had done some, she'd done some work on the house, you know, while I was asleep or while I was, I was doing something else. And I came back and I was like, oh, you did some work around here. And she was like, yeah, just, you know, did a little work around here. She's a kind of, uh, that, you know, this sort of do some work around here in the middle of the night type of person. And after she left, it took me a day or two to realize that she had moved an entire oak desk, you know, like six drawer oak office desk that Mm -hmm. had been in one room. She'd moved it and all its contents like across the house to a completely different place, a much better place than it was. Right. And I didn't even, I didn't hear her do it and I didn't notice that it had even moved. It was in such a natural location that I walked past it six times before I was like, oh, wait a minute, 
how did this, like it had to have been aliens who built the pyramids and it had to have been aliens that moved this desk <laughs> right. because you know, the, the desk weighs 130 pounds and she weighs a hundred pounds. Right. So, so this is, if you, if you're a friend of mine, this happens all the time where you come in and you're like, I was here at eight o'clock last night and this couch was upstairs covered with jackets and now it's down in the living room. How is that possible? Like it's like it was eight hours that I wasn't here. And it's just like what I do. So anyway, I grab this table. I put it on some kind of uh, roller. I can barely control it as I roll it out in the parking lot. I hoist it up inside the truck, you know, the whole time, just like wrestling this giant thing. It barely fits in the truck. I drive it home and I cannot not try and move it in the house now. And so I go out to the barn. I get a, I get a little hand truck that is not equal to the task. Like I have three hand trucks, Dan. One of them, I don't even know why I have it. It is useless. If you what's, put, what's the if problem you put, with it? Well, if you put two boxes of books, it's overtaxed. Oh, it was so it's, some, just fl- it's flimsy. It's flimsy. It was some sort of thing where I was, somebody was moving something and hand, hand trucks are like uh, Bic lighters. They kind of end up in your pocket. No, it's it's the same. I have a my, my main hand truck, which is a really nice, heavy-duty hand truck. I got when my sister-in-law left it behind after a move 10 years ago. Exactly. exactly. And I have, to, I, mean, I, I, I have to tell you something that really makes me feel awkward and uncomfortable. Uh-huh. And I think you'll, you'll, you'll feel equally awkward and uncomfortable. I've mm-hmm. got a new one so that I could wow. just sh- throw it in the bed of my truck and always have it there. And it's a yeah. folding one. So like the wheels and the bottom fold and the top collapses down. It's a light duty one, oh, but it I does work in, in a pinch. It has the unfortunate name. And this is what will make you feel uncomfortable. The, it is called the Magna cart. In reference to the Magna Carta, uh, no, yeah, can't can't be that the is Magna the name Carta. Magna Carta. And every time that I think about its name, I feel I feel wrong. You feel a little in wronged the, in the right? pitting of my in the pit of my stomach. Something <laughs> if I've recently eaten and I think about it, I'll I'll feel sick to my stomach. Oh, the Magna Carta. Magna Carta. And it's a light duty one. It's not even the Magna Cart. <laughs> that's that's right. Right? It's like a minute. It's a minicart. It is. Mini-cart. Yes, it is. Well, I, so the three hand trucks I have, one of them is like a mid, a, like an inflatable tire midsize one that actually you can use to do things. And then there's one, some heavy duty one, you know, like I have probably three Makita, uh, like circular saws that just various construction people over the years are packing up at the end and they leave their, they leave some, some hot Makita saw. Ah, yeah. You know, but they're, but they're always the, they're always the ones that like, don't leave a number or Uh don't, don't, you know, you've got to keep it. You were never sure how to contact them in the first place. They just showed up (laughs) one day and did like a week and a half of work and then they leave. Right. Anyway. So I don't know where this third one came from, but I go get it and I, and I pull this table out of the truck and it's just this unwieldy, monster the 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 hand truck i have is not even the good one is just not enough for this table but i wrestle it in i read and the whole way i'm like scraping the table i'm scraping everything somehow i get it through the door somehow i move it across the house through the most awkward door in the world eventually i get it set up and it's this like 
It's a table that is not, most houses could not accommodate this as their dining room table. Even I couldn't in my dining room, but I did have a, a place for it as my podcast table. Ah. And I modified, I modified it because these, these road mic, uh, dongle, the uh, thingies, what would you call them? Ex- mic extendo holders. Sure. What, what, what would you call them? A mic, mic extendo holder, I think is. The yeah. Name. Okay. Mike, that, I know what you're talking about. It's good. They wouldn't clamp on the side of the table because the ed, the, the lip of the table didn't go far enough. So I took, you're a, talking about a boom, a mic boom. It's a boom. That's okay. what it is. All right. a boom. They wouldn't clamp on the side of the table. So I got a little saw out and I, I was like, I paid a hundred dollars for this table. It's a podcast table. Well, you could have, uh, you could have done the thing. The, um, uh, I think it, Heil makes my favorite ones, but, uh, they have those flush mount ones that'll oh. work with your road boom arms and you, you just drill a hole the same kind of way that you would drill a hole for a doorknob. You drill that type of hole in your desk and this thing like countersinks into it and tightens at the bottom. And it's amazing. I, I love these That's things. Hot. That's hot. Well, I didn't want to, I didn't want to saw the top of the table because I'm, because I'm such a dual purpose person. Like if, if a, if a thing can do one thing, you always look for a second thing it can do. Yeah. This is maybe, it's maybe a philosophical problem. And that what I should really do is have a thing that does a thing. But if you give me an opportunity, if, if I go, if I go to a restaurant and there's a meal or there's a combo meal, mm-hmm. I'll always take the combo meal. Mm. I was, I went to a roadhouse the other day It had roadhouse in the name. I was looking at the stuff. I was like, Oh, ribs, a steak, a this, a that, you know, green beans. Like, what do I want? And then I turned to the back page and it's like rib steak, green bean combo. There you go. I was like sold like smaller portions of everything, but I don't care. Bring it. And you know, and sometimes I'll say, can I get the regular size portions on this combo? And most of the time, they're, if it's a roadhouse, the, the uh, server is always a competent person. Mm-hmm. You, you cannot be a shitty waiter or waitress at a roadhouse. It's just too, it's just too rough and tumble there. Peanuts on the floor. Like, you got to bring it. And our, our waiter was this person at this roadhouse that you would never – I looked at him and I was like, how are you a waiter? He's like a 50-year-old dude Ageism. who looks – Age discrimination. He, look, he looks like a guy that would be actually selling peanuts at a baseball park. <laughs> and he's, and he's, he's waiting at this roadhouse. And I'm like, like the people that are running this roadhouse picked you o- mm. over, over a, like a dozen other applicants for this job. Sure. Maybe he has and, skills that, you, that weren't obvious or in, initially evident. Well, he did because everything I said to him, and we're one of those families that each person always has some modification to their order. Uh, It's like, can I get this? But without that, (coughs) it's just in our nature. I'm sorry if you're a server listening to this and you're rolling your eyes, but it's just how it is. Sometimes the menu is not, I went to a menu with a friend one time and I said to the waiter, can I get this without that? And the waiter was like, yeah, sure. And I said to my dining partner, is that okay? You know, if we get this without that, and she said she was a young person or not young, but like a younger person. And she's mm-hmm. got this smug look on her face. And she said, I prefer to have it as the chef prepares it. Mm-hmm. And, and otherwise I, if I would not, I would not modify it. I would not enjoy it because it is, it is not how the chef intended. Uh-huh. And I was like, I hate what you just said. 
that is the terriblest thing because the chef is just somebody that's just a ding dong. Like I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm not at church here, but I didn't order the thing. And then the rest of the meal, I just sat there in like uncomfortable silence. Yeah, really? How are what, your, what else how are, are your fucking oysters? Is it how the chef prepared it? Fuck. Anyway. See, I go the other way. I feel like maybe I know better than the chef. Maybe, yes. maybe I could improve the chef's game somehow by making my own suggestion. There was one time I went to your favorite, uh, your favorite city. I was in New York city. It's a nice city. I had heard about this amazing place you can go. That's like super awesome. Like meats that are like all the best, like smoked and like aged meats and these different mm, things. It's, it's on TV shows and everything. So I went there and uh, it was very, a very kind of a hipster place and in, in a good way. And I was very excited because I'd heard about this. We had like a couple hours before our flight out. I was like, I'm going to eat this great. This will be like my last meal in New York before, you know, for the end of the trip, it'll be like the, the best meal ever. I was going to get this great lunch. And I went in there and I, I, I said, okay, you know, what, what do you have now? Well, we don't do this, 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 and this, and this until dinner time. I said, okay, well, you know, what, what can I have? And they said, well, we're doing uh-huh. sandwiches right now. I thought, okay, oh, great sandwiches. sandwiches. Well, you know, a lot of places, because I, you know, I don't eat the regular bread. I got to eat the gluten-free right, bread. And of course they don't have any gluten-free bread because most gluten-free bread isn't, in fact, all gluten-free bread really isn't as good as the regular kind. It's edible and some of it's good, but none of it, the best gluten-free bread is like the worst regular bread. <laughs> and oh, you said it. And so sister. I was like, well, do you have any gluten-free bread? No, we don't have anything like that. So I, uh, I said, well, you know, a lot of places, uh, will, um, will, will take the, the dish and they'll do it a little bit different. They'll maybe they'll take it, make it a, a sandwich and they'll put it on a, in a lettuce wrapper. They'll, lettuce they'll put wrap. it on a plate. They'll make a salad out of it. Like, I don't care. Just give me some of this great freaking meat that you guys are making here. That's mm-hmm. so awesome. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and he, uh, he says, well, let, let me, let me go see if we can do that. I'm like, well, I, I know you can do it. Of course you can do it. So he goes in the other room and he's gone for a long time. He comes back and he says, I'm sorry, we, we can't help. We can't serve you. We can't help you. I said, well, why? He says, oh, well, the chef says that it will compromise the integrity of the dish. Yeah, of course it will. Yeah. The integrity. Compromise the, the integrity. Oof. Of the dish. So rather than have two or three of us eat lunch there, you're simply going to, no, we don't approve of the way that you intend to eat our food. Mm -hmm. Therefore, you may go elsewhere. Mm -hmm. I think chefs have a lot to learn from the two of us, John. Well, you know, the the meal that I was, the meal in question was one where for whatever reason, I may have even discussed this with you before, for whatever reason, somewhere back in the annals of time, some chef decided that this meal this dish yeah. uh, had capers in it. Uh. Now, <clears throat> now, I've had this dish in other countries, countries where one presumes the originated even. Right. Sure. Now, there are no capers in it. It's not, there's paprika in it. Mm-hmm. It's not necessary that there be capers in it. But somebody, I'm sure it was somebody in New York right. who was preparing this dish. Uh-huh said, oh, wouldn't it be better if the flavor of this dish were overpowered by capers? <laughs> yeah. Someone wanted that. That was their, that was their MO. 
And what my suspicion is, is that the chef said, the chef smelled the meat and said, uh-huh. Ugh, this meat's a little past its sell-by date. What if I camouflage uh-huh. that with some capers? So I'm in this restaurant and I look at the menu and, and the, the dish comes with capers. Well, when I see that, my only feeling is that the chef is just following orders from from uh, the the world. The chef has no imagination. The chef is just using capers because capers are what is used. But this is a dish that you could experiment with. It's a dish that it that it should be a showcase of your of the quality of your uh, of your meat. Do not do not mask it with capers. Why not put curry in it? And so I just wanted it. I just wanted the plain thing without the pollution of capers. And my, you know, and my dining partner was like, oh, well, the chef. And I'm like, the chef is just throwing canned capers in it. Anyway, the, the dish is steak tartare. Oh, yeah. Which I've had in Hungary uh, to great effect. And I'm always trying to duplicate this Hungarian steak tartare. But in America, because of some bartender on the Lower East Side, it comes with capers. Some bartender that was trying to camouflage his rotten hamburger. It's infuriating. Mm-hmm. But what's more infuriating is the mentality of this of, of, a, of a generation that believes that chefs are something other than cooks. Mm. Well, what is the, what? Where do you draw the line between a, a chef and a cook? How would you personally draw the line? <laughs> I would say that if you are eating in a restaurant that has a chef, you should expect to leave uh, without being fully satisfied, but that you have had a very artistic meal, one that is inventive, one where you say, what do I really want to eat scrambled brains with, uh, with like or, sauce l'orange? And then you eat it and you go, huh, yeah, I kind of do. It's pretty, you know, that's pretty interesting. <laughs> I I had a friend one time who is like a fancy friend who took me to one of those Michelin starred restaurants in, in the, in rural France. Like there are these restaurants that are not around anything. Hmm. You drive through a country lane for however long. Oh, and it's like a little tucked away with next to an inn or something like that in the countryside. And it serves the best food in the country, but it's got no one stars. Yeah. 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 And it's just a little shack. It doesn't even have a sign out front (laughs) and you roll in and you sit down and they bring you food all night long. Like they bring you seven different courses. Every one of them is some little thing, some little inventive tower of things you're not even sure if you're supposed to use silverware or how to eat it. You know, I'm kind of always looking around at those places like, is everyone else, how are you eating this food? And then you kind of go into it with a fork and it's always amazing. Like there, I 100% believe that this little shack in the, in the, in the North of France dessert, cause I was there with this friend because we were touring the world war one battlefields. We were going, it was sort of a rainy winter and we were, we spent like, like a week driving around stopping at all these battlefields and getting out in the rain. It was only the two of us in the whole park and we would get down in the old trenches and wander around. And, you know, we're both world war one buffs. So we were on this adventure. He's a British person. And so, and, but he's also one of these, like, we have to go to this restaurant. Oh, and he speaks French, of course, because he's <laughs> I like was going to say he has, right? he's a British person with a, 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 
kind of Pepe Le Pew style French accent. Yeah, and he would say, and he's you know he's posh, so he was um, <clears throat> he was you know he's very he's extremely polite and genteel to everyone. He doesn't have any. There's no arrogance to him because his poshness precludes it right at a certain see, level. They're just so uh, polite to everyone. So he's there and they're like, and then all of a sudden there's amazing food. And I just feel like a complete hayseed, like an American hayseed. But of course I feel like in those environments, I'm the exotic one to them. You know, they're like, this is what they're all used to. And then I'm here in a denim shirt like, wow, how many forks you get in this restaurant? You know, and it's like fun for them too. <laughs> right. It's like but when so, you take your kids somewhere and you re-experience the world through them, It's that's what it's like for them taking you to the restaurant. Yeah, exactly. But anyway, so that's a chef, I think. And who, you know, that chef is somebody who, who only, because there's only five tables in this restaurant. Like he, he cooks at the most eight meals. Because they're seven courses long. You sit there all night. And I mean, they're expensive, but he's doing a thing. You know, he's like, voila. But if you go to some restaurant in Seattle where you show up at the table and they're like, do you have a reservation? And you're like, no, it's just me and a friend. And they're like, hang on. Here's a table over here. And the place is all loud and bustling and everybody's enjoying it. You know, everybody's paying $5 for an oyster. That's not a chef. It's a bunch of guys in the back, you know, like, like doing short order. Basically they're, mm-hmm. they're making 50 meals that night. I, I, I'm not obligated to believe that this person's capers are some, are some like sacrament. So this table, when it was time to move out of my house, the real estate agents were very clear. They didn't want this giant table in the room. They're going to take this room which was my podcast room and they were going to stage it as a master suite a master suite. Hmm. Now this did not help drive a bidding war on my house. No, unfortunately master suite. When I bought the house, it was also staged as a master suite. And when I came into the house, I said, no one wants a master suite here. It's not where a master suite belongs. This room was not built as a master suite. It was built as a mother-in-law apartment, which was gutted by someone at some point in time, some, some idiot and built into a master suite, which no one wants, but it was a great podcast studio. So they all say, get this table out of here, but it's a giant table. Where's it going to go? It's a giant table that I paid a hundred dollars for. So it's not like, oh, this is an antique table. It should go into an expensive storage space. So I say, I'd like to, I say daughter's mother, I would like to move this table into your basement and I'll set it up as a podcast studio. And then I will, there will be no interruption between my selling the house and continuing to do my podcasts. And then I'll move to my new house and the table will come the the whole, the whole journey with me. Right. So I set it up down here. My daughter loves it and immediately covers it with toys. But my daughter's mother is extremely particular about wood. She wants the wood in any room in any one room, she wants all the wood in that room to match the other wood. 
And so this is a dark stained table. And she decided that this room had light stained wood in it. Now the not, uh-huh. she didn't, she didn't decide that because there was she, because she had any beautiful piece of furniture. It was all a bunch of Ikea slammed together, blonde wood shite. But that was her decision. And I could tell that the color of this table kept her up at night. She's, she's a little bit like you, Dan, like the, the, a thing, mm-hmm. which other people might think was not a big deal. Uh, it plagued her. It got in, it got under her skin and she would lay there and say, everything is perfect in the world, except the except, color of that table right? in a basement room where I never go. Yes. And so the table has become a silent bone of contention because she knows she knows that she has offered to help me and that this is the this is one of the very few ways I have chosen to ask for help. Can I put this table here? But but she's also decided that it, it's her bete noir. So that's the table I'm sitting at. Mm. And there, and eight or nine feet across the table, there is another chair with another microphone on another road stand mm-hmm. waiting for whomever I do a show with to come sit down and join me here across this long, uh, game of Thrones table mm-hmm. table is cut from one mic to the next is covered with toys and I'm all alone and although it, today is one of these 80 degree spring days in Seattle, because this room is deep in the basement, it's always a little chilly, mm-hmm. but that keeps, that cools down all my giant servers here that are farming bitcoins. Oh yeah, that's That's right. Yeah. yeah. We would like to thank Mac Weldon for making this episode possible. Mac Weldon's mission is simple to make sure all your basics and beyond are smartly designed and that shopping for them is as easy and convenient as it could be. Mac Weldon, they were founded because they wanted more out of their basics. And they always questioned how something so essential from, you know, underwear, socks, t-shirts, and, and beyond that, how that could be such a pain to buy. Mac Weldon, they started from scratch. They engineered their own fabric. They make sure the design process was meticulous so that you can count on the fit being the same each time. Tell me the truth. How often have you gone and said, well, I'm going to buy two shirts and you get them back and they're the same shirt and they're supposed to fit the same way, but they don't. Does that happen to you? It happened to me, but it does not happen with Mack Weldon. Even so, they've built a world-class customer experience. The difference is in the details. You know, they have obsessed over every stitch and seam until they reached their definition of perfect. They believe in smart design, premium fabrics, and simple shopping so you can get in and get out and they're making the best stuff that you'll ever wear they have a line of silver underwear and shirts that are naturally antimicrobial which means they eliminate odor just by nature they want you to be comfortable and they know you're going to be comfortable but if for some reason you don't like that first pair you can keep it and they will refund you no questions asked and not only does mac weldon's underwear socks and shirts look good they perform well too they're good for working out Going out, the dates, I mean, everyday life, you name it. I love the Mack Weldon stuff that I have. And I, I, you know, it's funny because here in Texas, it gets pretty hot. And I am one of those people who I do not like being barefoot in a sneaker. Especially when it's hot out. I need a sock, but I don't want you to see my socks when I'm wearing shorts. 
because it's a sin. You understand a sin. So what do I do instead? I wear these awesome Mack Weldon no-show socks. They're my favorite. They're probably my favorite thing that Mack Weldon makes, although their underwear is great. And the t-shirts and regular shirts, I have a, a couple of their regular short sleeve shirts that are awesome. The Vesper, I think you'll like them too. Anyway, the point is they make a little something for everybody. And you can get 20% off your first order by going to MacWeldon.com, M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N, MacWeldon.com, and enter the promo code ROADWORK when you're checking out. And do go check out Mac Weldon. It's better than what you're wearing right now, unless you're wearing Mac Weldon. So go check them out. Use that promo code ROADWORK, and we appreciate their support. I mean, is this going to be a... Temp, another temporary location for you? In other words, are you going to be at this situation for a little while? Or is this, I mean, what's your feeling? Because the last time we talked, you were saying that maybe, maybe this could be a more permanent, a temporary permanent setup for you. What, do you. what are you thinking these days about this? I think there are two schools of thought. One of them is that you plan your life and you make positive choices, you see someone across a crowded dance floor and you say, I can't live without you from this moment forward. And you go up to them and you say, I would like to be with you. And they say, I cannot, I I'm in love with someone else. Or, you know, this is the plot of every movie from the 1940s and fifties. Right. And then, but the, but the other one, the one who is the desirer is relentless in their pursuit. And they keep showing up places and they keep saying, but I am relentless. And they say, no, I'm in love with this, this, uh, fickle, uh, you know, scion to a company who, who has no in- integrity. Uh, and, and the hero of the story uh, or heroine says, but I am a, you know, I'm a man of the people and, um, and, uh, you know, I'm bubbling over with integrity. And also I choose you, I choose you. Mm-hmm. And eventually the, uh, the object of their desire realizes that they're, they have a feckless, um, uh, they were never in love with the one they were intended to. And they run off at the last minute, right? This is the plot of the graduate. This is the plot of, uh, well, the, no, it's not the plot of the graduate. That's a little different, but, but they, but this is the plot of say anything, right? Yes. Um, or, or what, or no, the sure thing. This is the plot of the sure thing. Maybe it's the plot of say anything too. Anyway, it's a common plot. And then there's the other way, which is to passively let life wash over you and to wake up every morning and say, I have no idea what's going to happen today. And then things happen and you go, hmm, this seems like a path I'll follow or this is a disagreeable path. And sometimes it takes weeks and months to, to figure that out. Oh, this is a path I'll follow for a day, even if it seems disagreeable. And then two months later, you're like, wow, why did I ever do this? And I have, despite the fact that I have watched a lot of these movies and I think of myself as an active chooser, I am not. I am a passive chooser. Things happen to me and I go along. And that has that has traveled me around the world and that has given me all kinds of adventures. Uh, and once I'm in an adventure, like I do make 
I do make positive choices, but if something happens along the way, I generally just sort of follow it. Like, oh, we met this person, and this person seems bananas. I'll follow them. You know, kind of like follow them back to their place. And right. so a lot of my a lot of my adventures are they are initiated by just going with it rather than saying, I've got an itinerary. Or my plan in coming here is to go to all these places and check them off. And so in this case, I'm here living in this house. It is not, it's nowhere near as oppressive as I thought. I'm, I'm enjoying it, even though nothing here is what I would have, what I've would have picked. It's all someone else's choices. Right. But I have no capacity to say I am either choosing this and pursuing it and going to do what it takes to make it work or the capacity to say I should pick a life that belongs to me that I have chosen Uh that comports with my values. All I can do is wake up in the morning and go, I'm here. I'm here. And I will move to another room and then I will begin to do the things that I have promised other people I will do. And then at a certain point I will be cast out into the world with no plan in mind, no project. And I'll just sort of move toward, you know, something I'll have a thing I have to do later or I'll be hungry or there'll be something that, that drives me out mm-hmm. and I'll just follow that bliss until the next, uh, commitment comes up on my list. Right. So I have no idea. Like it seems to me that the next thing I'm going to do is buy a house and and I've been working toward that goal for a long time. But now that I'm sort of without a house staying in this house soon to have a bunch of money from the sale of my house. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I saw a piece of property came online. It was a waterfront property. It was very affordable given the given the area. But it was it was undeveloped. It had an old cabin on it according to the real estate listing, but the real estate listing said the cabin has no value. And so I was like, Hmm, that's intriguing. So I drove over there and what the, what the property is, is a full acre of waterfront land in a neighborhood of very expensive mansions. But the acre is too steep to even really, I mean, almost too steep to build a stair and completely forested. And on, and the road where you would access this property is hugging the side of a cliff at this point so that the neighbors on either side have built uh, places to park their cars that are cantilevered out over the cliff. So you pull onto this little driveway and your car is just like hanging out over the, and who, and half of these 
little driveways were built 50 years ago. So who knows, you know, it's landslide city. And so I pull over and I park in someone else's driveway and I start to try and explore this, this piece of property. And I clamber over some fence and I'm in this environment where I'm whole, I'm clinging to a tree and the only way I can get down is to dig my heels in and slide to the next tree where I grab a hold and, and my body swings around and I'm clinging to that tree, clinging like one of those little monkey babies clinging to a, a mother made of cloth and wire. <laughs> <laughs> That's, you know, I know that. I know what you're talking about. That's something I remember vividly from my childhood, that thing. The, the little, little monkey. Where the, the monkey. The, so for people who are, are maybe listening to our show, John, and don't know what you're talking about with the clinging monkey, they took, and when was this, the 70s, late 60s? Whenever they were doing this kind of cruel experiment. Yes, they would take, they would take monkeys and instead of allowing them to be uh, raised by a monkey mother, they took a wire mesh and shaped it in uh, vaguely into the shape of a bu- the bust of a monkey. And I think in one of the experiments, they just gave them just the wire shape. And then in another one, they put some kind of fake fur on it, maybe even a face that looked vaguely like a monkey. Oh, but it was the, it was a wire shape of a monkey, but it had the milk. There were, it had the milk inside of right, it. There were right. nipples. Right. I was getting, well, oh, I was okay. getting sorry, to the nipples. Sorry, sorry, sorry. And they would put, they would put the bottle of milk inside of it so that it protruded out and the monkey or monkeys clung onto this edifice as if it was their mother because it provided milk. And I guess, John, what was the point of this experiment to show that they, that animals and people prefer something that seems like it's alive as opposed to just something that provides nourishment? It was, it was a question of do, do these, uh, do these aminals who we've long suggested don't have sentience, these dumb animals, Mm-hmm. Do they just do the thing we would expect, which is pursue nourishment or do they actually prefer comfort, which might indicate that they had feelings, some, something vaguely resembling having feelings. Right. So here's this, this poor little baby monkey that has no mother. And the question is, it's mom is a wire mesh. <laughs> shape with a bottle inside of it. The question is, would this dumb insect of a monkey cling to the wire in order to receive nourishment or would it prefer to hug a soft towel? And the monkey invariably chose the soft towel and the pictures all show this, this poor devastated monkey just barely clinging to the world, wondering why nothing grooms it. And the scientists were like, aha, we have, we have determined that the obvious thing is obvious. Monkeys have feelings. Mm-hmm. And then they showed us children that experiment in order to depict science. Where we were like, hmm, interesting. I would rather cling to the towel too as a child. 
if they'd asked me. Right. So, so what you wind up with is you wind up with a monkey that hangs on to the cloth covered wire mesh that provides no milk. But then it goes over and drinks milk. And then leans, it leans over <laughs> with its, you know, lower part of its body. You're still gripping the real mother. It leans over and, and, and suckles reluctantly against the wire mesh. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Poor little guy. Yeah. Well, that's how I was going down this slope, clinging, going from tree to tree. And about halfway down, I realized, oh, I've done this again. This is like moving a giant table from my truck to my house in the middle of the night. Except this right. is... I'm halfway down like a murder hill clinging to a tree and there's nowhere <laughs> to go. I cannot go back up. It do, if I let go of this tree, I'm just going to tumble down the hill like a sack of flour and there's no one right. around because this is an acre property. And so if I yell, I'm just sort of, who am I yelling to? And the people that own big houses like this, they're at work. Right. They're not sitting at home podcasting. Like all the lights are off in all these places because it's 10 o'clock in the morning. And then I see the cabin down far down and it is completely covered with growth, ivy and, and fallen bows of pines so much so that you cannot see that it's a cabin from nowhere. Would you be able to tell this was a cabin except that I knew there was a cabin there. It wasn't even cabin shaped. It was just like a, it was just like a pustule of, of, uh, green. Anyway, by literal hook or crook, I managed to fall down this hill and at the bottom, for whatever reason, some many, 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 many moons ago, someone built an actual retaining wall, like a seawall. They built a seawall along this whole stretch of beach. So you tumble down, there's a eight foot seawall and then you're in the ocean or, you know, on a beach that at high tide is the ocean. And this piece of property is only a hundred thousand dollars. Now by my survey, it would cost $1 million to even begin to build anything on this property. Like just getting the building materials to where you wanted them would require an assault equivalent to D-Day. You'd have to bring stuff by boat. You'd have to, <laughs> you would have to block off the road above in order right. to pump concrete. You'd have to build a funicular. Like the whole thing would be such an operation that the hundred thousand dollars that this piece of property would cost would be just a. I mean, that's an insignificant expense. You couldn't even, you couldn't even take the little cabin, tear it down and build a little cabin in its place because whoever built that cabin probably was a ye olde fisherman who built it out of driftwood or I mean, lumber that they, they brought from the ocean. Maybe who knows? I mean, old uh, people from ye olden times were much more intrepid than people now. Sure. Right. But when the money comes from the sale of my house, I could just buy this piece of property in cash. And then I would be, then I would have all this potential. <clears throat> but you have so much work. Oh, You'd yes. It would be, a, it would be a monstrous undertaking. One that I would almost certainly never undertake. Right. So I would own this crazy piece of property for some amount of years 
And then I would realize there's a reason that the people that owned this sold it for a hundred thousand dollars. I'll be lucky to sell it for a hundred thousand dollars. Right. That's not what I'm in the, that's not what I'm trying to do with my life right now. But I don't know what I am trying to do with my life because I've never known. Like I woke up this morning and I said, I, I have doctors and dentists and psychiatrists flung all over this town. Every one of them is an hour drive through traffic to mm. get to their office where there's no parking. Can't have that. All around. You'll never go. You'll never go if that's the case. Well, I do is the thing. I just like going to these things is just a labor. Whereas here in this neighborhood where I'm crashing in the basement, basically, I drive past very professional looking doctors and dentists and psychiatrists offices. Like they're in profusion down here because mm-hmm. I think all the people in this neighborhood are old and sick and psychologically in need of help. And I woke up this morning and thought, what if I just found new medical professionals? Like I'm not in dire straits or anything, but I do sometimes go to these doctors, which I did not used to do as you recall. Yeah. Part of my transition it has been like, okay, I'll go to the, okay, I'll go to that other doctor too. Yeah. All right. All right. All right. I'll go to that doctor. And now I have all these, now I have appointments. Why don't I just get all, why don't I just transfer all those things down here? People do that all the time. And it involves making phone calls. It involves, I guess, do people audition doctors? Yeah, sure. You go in, you talk to them. You're like, nope, not you. I mean, you can kind of tell. Yeah, you 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 want especially if it's like a specialist kind of a doctor or a doctor who's going to be like the doctor for your whole family in the new neighborhood that you've just moved into. Right. Oh yeah, people are and they and they should audition them. I think. Well, yeah, and I and I wish that I wanted it. Um, I wish that I wanted what I want enough that I would go in and and make the time to audition for doctors. But I feel like my, my way is I just walk in, the doctor is there. I go, all right, I guess you're my doctor. And then I immediately have, have misgivings about, Mm -hmm. about the doctor. Um, but that would be a project. That would be a project where if I, if I completed that, I would, I would feel more like I was living positively rather than reactively, reactively. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But, uh, but, uh, what an undertaking. And it's the type of undertaking that, that there are some people that just like check that stuff off a box or check that box off of stuff. Mm-hmm. They're just like, got these things to do, 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 do. And they're also working full time. And they also are, I don't know, going to yoga. And for me, it's like, oh boy, I would have to like figure stuff out. I would have to call people just, it sounds like a lot of, it's a lot of work that's outside your comfort zone. Just seems like a lot. Mm -hmm. So, so here I am, you know, I'm here in this spot. It's springtime in Seattle. It's beautiful outside. It's 100% possible that tomorrow I will open up the internet and uh, there will be a house for sale nearby that will seem really great. 
and I'll go look at it and I'll go, could I live here? Yes, I could. And I could say, I'll take it. And there could be all that rigmarole of like, well, you've got to have an inspection and what about this and banks and, and I could just sort of weather all that. And maybe the people that are selling the house would say, yes, we accept your offer. And then I would be embarking on that enormous process of like, now you have a new house or now you have to go through all this stuff and then you'll have a new house and then you move in and you ask yourself, how did I get here? This is not my beautiful house. Or you say all of the electrical outlets are two prong and I need them to be three prong. Mm -hmm. And so I don't want to do that work myself. Now you're going to call someone, call someone. I'm going to pay them. They're going to schedule an appointment. They're going to come do that. And then I go down in the basement and I go, ah, this house was built with cast iron plumbing. I don't want that. I want copper plumbing, but my goodness, what an expense and job it will be. And you have to do it. You call the person, they come in, they replace all that. You're like much better. You know, you then, then you have to do all that, which is stuff to do. It becomes stuff on your list that you're doing. I mean, I could be right on the verge of that. Uh, or I could just like wake up every morning in this guest room where my daughter's mother hasn't even hung the artwork on the walls. She's been living here for 10 months. So there are paintings that are like leaning up against the wall on every wall, like that are yeah. meant to go up. And they aren't paintings I would have chosen. I could wake up one morning and say, today I'm going to put up all the paintings. Every day is a, is a new adventure. Do you feel like you live positively, proactively? Me? You. As a person? Yes, you. Do you have a plan? I, I mean, yeah, but it's, I don't, I think I try to, and I don't do a very good job of it. But you're working but yes. on executing a plan rather than, um, just like, whoa, it's, whoa, it's today. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I'm 50, 50 on that. I feel like the, there, my, my desire is to be the, the, the latter just, whoa, let, let's see where today leads. But the reality is very, very different from that. The, perhaps the reality I don't really want to see is that no, everything is, there is a lot of structure and a lot of rules that are some self-imposed and others not. But I, I would say I lead a fairly structured, not rigid, but other people might say rigid. Like I, I, I try to wake up at the same time every day, whether, and, I, and in fact I do whether I want to or not, but I try to go to bed at the same time every day. I generally am doing the same things most days of the week at the same time. Mm-hmm. You know, there's not, it's not very, but I, ha, I should say I've always been this way. I, even when I was very, very little, uh, I was always like this. I mean, I still have memories of waking up in the morning as a kid, single digit age, probably about five 30 in the morning, six o'clock. And my parents would, you know, back then, John, as you remember, we only had maybe four channels, six channels, mm -hmm. but they would put it to the channel that eventually Speed Racer and Ultraman would come on mm -hmm. so that when I woke up way in advance of my parents, 
I could go downstairs and turn the TV on and it would be on the channel that I wanted it to be on already. And the Archies started at five 30 or six in the morning mm-hmm. and the shows that I wanted probably began, you know, six, six thirty. So I would wake up at the same time every day, go downstairs, turn the thing on, get a bowl of cereal, watch it. Like that was the thing. And, and really my whole life has been that way yeah. and the aspects of my life are that way. And, and I, um, I see the same thing in my son, my daughter, not so much. But my son has very much really enjoys the structure and the routine of life and that um, doing certain things a certain way at certain times, I think, is very, a, a not bad thing, a pleasant thing. My daughter is very different than that. She doesn't ever want to do the same thing twice, doesn't ever want the same thing twice, won't wear the same thing again, won't eat the same food unless she has to, uh, you know, mm-hmm. but I, I do, I think I'm very, uh, but I don't like that. It's it, like, I feel like obviously it works for me, but I like in my mind, I don't feel that way in my mind. I feel like I'm, I would be content to do anything, but I feel like I, there's just so much to do. And that's the problem for me is I feel like there's a lot that I have to do and those, the accomplishment of those goals, whatever they are, and they're usually like bigger long-term goals are so important that I'm working very hard on getting to those because once I get those, or at least what I tell myself, once I get those things, not objects, but, but a specific accomplishments, then, then after I've done that, that's when I'll be able to like relax and yeah. do whatever I want the way John does. Yeah. You know, I'll then, <clears throat> then I'll be able to just wake up when I feel like it and go and maybe, maybe I'll mow the yard or get on a plane, you know, or just play, teach myself piano. Like <clears throat> any of those three things equal, equal possibilities. Mm-hmm. No idea what's going to happen <laughs> until I'm already in the process of doing it. Mm-hmm. And, and you're maybe wondering like, what are those accomplishments? Well, you know, I'd, I'd like to, I don't, I don't really know. Maybe, maybe one of them would be like make $20 million by selling some startup. Oh. And that, that would be nice because then I could really do whatever I want to do. And I got to work really hard and I'm not, I'm not getting any younger. Right. So I have like less and less every day. I have a day less to do it. In. I'm not 20 nope, anymore, nope, nope, you know? Nope. So I don't know, but I feel, I feel compelled. I feel very compelled internally to strive or aspire to those kinds of accomplishments. And it, and it wouldn't be fair to say, well, I'm driven by money and I just want to make money because it's not about the money for the sake of wanting the money or wanting to buy things. I feel like if I had some giant monetary cushion that then I would feel okay in, in, in not working toward that kind of thing. I feel like if, if I was like, well, I got that much money in the bank, whatever that magical number would be, I don't even know, but I've got that in the bank. So like, now I don't have to, I don't have to go to work today. I can do something different. I mean, I don't even take vacations unless I'm forced to, I'm being forced to, to go on a vacation usually once a year, my wife forces me to do it. Yeah. Where we usually between four to seven days, we have to go and do something. Whether I want to do it or not, it doesn't matter. I generally don't. 
And it's not like I don't want to spend time with my family because I do. I just like being forced to completely go and do this other thing when I've like, there's so much I have to do. There's so much I have to do. And so this is my problem is I always feel like there's so much more to do and a fairly limited time to do it in. It's like a race against the clock. That's how I'm always feeling. So I would say the exact opposite maybe of what it sounds like you're describing. I would love to just, well, when'd you wake up? Ah, I don't remember 10. Mm-hmm. What'd you do? Oh, you know, I, some friends said, let's go eat. So I wanted to go eat. And then we wound up going to a museum and then we met this other person and they told us about this cool thing. And we did that. No, it never, never had, I didn't even happen. didn't happen in college. Doesn't happen now. Never happened. Hmm. Like, well, no, cause I got to be back for that thing at two. So can't do that. And a lot of it is self-imposed, but also that's kind of the way that my life seems to wind up. And maybe I'm like unconsciously organizing and orchestrating them, th- my life to be this way. Yeah. So it winds up being that way when I don't even know that like behind, like, have you ever met someone? I won't say, I won't say a woman, but in my experience, I've seen this, I've seen that this seems to be the case for some women more than I've noticed it for men, but that, you know, don't email me. Mm, Sure. Uh, But it seems like there are certain people for whom they sort of attract drama that there's always something. Oh, I had a flat tire on the way to work. Oh my God. This, my friend came over at 2 a.m. last night because their cat was throwing up and they didn't know how to help him. Oh, you know, this other thing. Oh, my parents are coming into town all of a sudden. They didn't tell me they're going to be here in an hour. And, Oh, my apartment flooded because it rained. You know, like it it seems like some people that attract that kind of drama all the time. That's very rare for me. Even when something like that happens for me, it's like, eh, you know, like we had this leak under our garage, some pipe burst underneath the garage, underneath the, not really the, I guess it's under the foundation of the garage. And, uh, and, and you could hear like a little, it was almost like a, a hissing type of a sound that we quickly determined was probably water. And so we had to have some company come out and they had to use a jackhammer inside of our garage and jackhammer through the floor and reveal that, yes, there was some pipe that had burst under there. It was pissing out water. And so then they, they came jackhammered it for a day and then the next day came back out and, and re-cemented it up. And like, that's just like, I had no thoughts about it, no emotion about it. It's like, oh, there's this thing that happened and you got to do it. For me, it wasn't, it, I mean, I told people about it when they asked, but it wasn't like, I didn't feel, John, I didn't feel emotion about that. Mm-hmm. And yes, it cost a small fortune and it really sucked and it was inconvenient, blah, blah, blah. But it's like, that's not a big thing. Like that I'm at the point where now that this, that's just a thing that happens. And also I ate a sandwich that day. Like no big deal. It doesn't matter. That's not a thing, John. That's just the kind of thing that happens. And so I, I kind of roll with that thing. Meanwhile, I, like my wife and other people are like, oh my God, is this a big deal? Like all this stuff is happening. Like it's, but it's not a big deal. It's just, it's a thing that happens. Right. What, what, what good is feeling something about it going to do? Well, you, you're going to, are you going to feel sad about it that it happened? Okay. You're going to feel angry and frustrated that it, it's costing money and an inconvenience, or do you just move on with it? Oh, I, you know, 
spilled milk, right? Spilled milk. So I don't know. I don't know. But I like, like in my mind, I feel like my inner self is the, let's go, you know, get lunch and see where that leads. Maybe I won't be home for a week. But the reality is the opposite. Yeah, I, <clears throat> I think I lived at least two decades of my life where I didn't have anything to do today or tomorrow. And I just did exactly as you say, woke up, someone suggested that I go to lunch or I went to the cafe that I went to, not because I had <laughs> yeah. to, but because I needed a coffee or I wanted to see what was going on. Somebody there said, why don't we do this? Mm-hmm. Somebody walked in and said, I have Primus tickets. And I was like, <laughs> oh, and they said, will you go with me to Primus? And I said, sure. And then I, you know, walked down the boulevard and someone said, Hey, come hold this edge of this tarp because I'm doing a graffiti. And I was like, okay, you know, it was just, it was, in, it was entirely that it was. And that was when I see young musicians who are 18 and they're already great and they're already working on their second album. And I, and I'm just like, wow. I mean, I was playing music that whole time, but it was just was like, oh, we would get done with practice and go, when's our next practice? <clears throat> Nobody knew. It's like, I don't know, Tuesday? Sure. Or there were there were times when I practiced every day with my band, but not because I but I don't know what we what was driving us. It was just something that we did, something to do in the afternoons, because none of us had anything to do. It's a very, very different approach to life. It's you know, years and years of what some people might consider a waste of time, but I can't imagine a different way of having done it because I didn't have the, I didn't have the power and I didn't want what you're describing, you know, like the, like the, um, I didn't want any, any fear or anxiety or disappointment, you know, and the way to avoid that was just like, I don't know. I, did I like the Primus show? Who cares? I mean, I didn't, yeah, sure. It was more the adventure of it. It was more that if someone says, do you want to go to Primus? You say yes. And then you do. And then you have, and then afterwards you run into somebody and they're like, let's go. And you go and then, then it's tomorrow. Mm-hmm. But like a couple of years ago, I, I was in a position to spend a little bit of time, not a ton, but a little with Evan Williams, uh, probably someone of your acquaintance who I I've never met him in person, but I've spoken to him over elect over email and, and things like that. Yeah. So here he is. He's, he's younger than me. He's probably your age. And, uh, he invented blogger uh-huh. and then Twitter, Twitter, mm-hmm. and then medium. And his, he's worth a billion dollars. And all of those things to me seem like clockwork, inventions like you wind them up and you set them free and you go i mean uh, clearly he went to the next thing like he invented blogger blogger you just you build and then you hire a few people to keep it running it's not a super you're not expected to write a post every day right it's just a it's just a little machine you made and then Twitter, my God, if they had only done, 
if they'd only just left it alone, you know? Yeah. Um, just set it in motion and, and move on. Uh, but, but Evan Williams, you know, and he starts medium and I've talked to him enough to know that he's an idealist. He wants each one of these, these things he has intended to transform the world. He didn't just invent Twitter to, he certainly didn't do it to make a dollar or blogger. He really wanted to give voice to people and he wanted to improve the world through conversation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's just, it's like a, it, it's something that drives him. But every single day he wakes up and he goes to work at an office, which inexplicably has one of those open plan office plans. And he sits there and I don't know, does what shuffles papers, emails people. And I think you have $1 billion for the love of God. Why are you working in this place more or less doing work that is in, in, in most practical ways, the same as these people you're employing. So they have to have a job, right? They came to work today because they have to have a job because they're making money to pay off student loans. They're hoping to retire one day and not have to work. Mm -hmm. You know, they're doing their job and that's what you're doing too. You're the equivalent of a waiter who saved his money to buy a restaurant. And now you're just a, you're just a waiter with more responsibility. And I don't know, he's thrilled clearly by CEOing, but he has a billion dollars. He could build a, he could, he could rebuild the Hindenburg (laughs) except, except put inert gas in it rather than super flammable hydrogen. Right. And he could outfit his Hindenburg with like luxury apartments and he could fly around the world at 20 miles an hour. He could just be like, this is what I'm doing now. And every once in a while, you know, people would post to the internet like, well, there goes Evan Williams in his Hindenburg replica. I mean, minus swastikas, obviously Uh you put something else up there. You'd put like radio heads in rainbows logo, or you'd put peace signs or something. Or he could, he could buy a decommissioned aircraft carrier. Probably not. They have nuclear power plants, so they might not, the government might not sell him one, but like certainly a battleship or a, and just like park it off the coast of Los Angeles and learn to fly his, you know, his, uh, one of the, the three remaining, uh, P 40 tomahawks or whatever, you know, he could do whatever. And, uh, and yet he goes to work every day. He takes the freaking Bart down to his office and says, morning Marge and goes and sits at a desk and, and pushes papers around and goes to the lunchroom and eats a vegan salad. And I don't understand it, Dan. I do not understand it. Because he could, he could just do anything. He could give away nine tenths of his money and still do anything. Right. So I, I, I I don't know what the, I don't know what the object of that kind of, what feels like make work to me, you know, 
nobody questions it. Zuckerberg, what the hell is he doing all day? Like he could have, are you, are you sort of saying, what is it that people who have a ton of money, why are they still working well, and not adventuring? It just seems like busy. Cause work. I mean, I wonder, I wonder that it is that it is that, but also it's busy work. It's not a, it's not a question of what they could be doing. It's a question of why are they doing that? Like it's one, mm-hmm. it's, that's one thing that you have to admire about Elon Musk, which is that he's trying to, he's trying to invent something. He's not just maintaining a website that he, that he cooked. Right. Up. He's going, he's uh, building a cool car and going to space. Yeah. He's kind of an asshole or whatever, but dig he, it, digging under the ground. He's trying to make a super train. Like he's, yeah, he's like doing stuff. I guess he's dating a electronic artist. I mean, he's easy to mock because he's like a lot of rich people, like tone deaf, kind of like Richard Branson, you know, Richard, yeah, I was, I was hoping you were going to mention Richard, yeah, Richard Branson because if you didn't, I would, I'm going to buy an Island. Like all of the people that work for me are going to be supermodels because why not? Why not? If you have the choice, why would you not pick a supermodel? I mean, come on. It's a, uh, but you know, I'm, I'm with you on that. I actually know a few people who have become multimillionaires mm-hmm. and I'm always consistently very, very disappointed, not just in the way that they spend or lack uh, a failure to spend their money, but in them as people deeply disappointed by them and deeply, really offended. If I can be totally honest by these people, yes, because they do not know how to have any fun. They do not know how to spend their money. They do not know how to not spend their money well. They don't, they don't know anything. And, and it's not like, so for me, if let's just make believe somebody showed up and said, you, you, you don't even know it, Dan, but you had a great uncle, you know, your, 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 your great uncle left you 15 million bucks. Mm-hmm. I would set the headphones down. I wouldn't even bother to hit stop on the recording and you'd never see me again. You would never hear from <laughs> me again, except maybe in the form of a postcard from some wonderful location. <laughs> I know people who have sold their companies and not as part of this sale requirement, not as that, but that they'd say, well, I'll, I'll stay on for, to, to sort of steward the company for the next six months. Steward it. Who cares and about I'm like, you? What the hell are you sticking around for? That's idiotic. What are you doing that? Well, you know, I want to make sure that it's in good hands. And I'm like, what do you care? You sold it. You're out already. You're uh, you know, you know, I'm watching this Chernobyl uh, show on HBO, which John, if you haven't seen this, highly recommend it. My, I, I understand that you have put forth the, the concept that you, you don't have a TV, which may or may not be true. You've, you've suggested that when you watch movies, you watch them on your Apple watch or something like that. You don't even have a, a regular screen to watch them on. I would encourage you to watch this. This is right up your alley. This is an HBO mini, a short series, mini series about Chernobyl. I, my understanding is it's very accurate historically. I don't know for sure, but I've seen the only episode is out as the first one. Highly recommend this for you. But uh, my point about this is in, in this, you, you get to kind of see 
the effects of like that radiation has on people and, and all of these awful things that can happen. And I feel like in, you know, the people that went into it, they just, they didn't know the firemen, the first firemen that were called out had no idea. They thought they were just going to put out a fire on the roof of the reactor. They had no idea that the core was exploding and spewing out gas. And you know what I mean? These people didn't know. And so you kind of feel, you feel really, really bad for them because you're like these poor people. It's one thing to make a decision to say, I know I'm about to get, you know, a lethal dose of radiation and go in and, and put this fire out and I'm going to save Europe in the process. You know what I'm saying? It's one thing to know that it's another to think, well, they just said to go like spray some water over here. And like, I accidentally touched a piece of graphite from the core and, and now I'm going to be dead in an hour. <laughs> These people didn't have a chance to, to make that choice. Now, I'm not sure why I mentioned that other than to recommend the show to you. I was going somewhere with it, but now I got lost in the, in the details. That's not important. <laughs> the point is if I'm only doing these things that I do, like, yes, I, I enjoy a lot of the things that I do. I love having these conversations with you, but I'm still doing them as a means to an end. And the end would be uh, like a, a degree. Okay. So I was talking, that's right. I was talking about my, uh, one of my friends who, he went and he, he was staying on at this other company for like an ex, like for three or six months or something like, that. I said, dude, I, I don't, why are you still there? He's like, well, you know, I'm stewarding it, whatever. I said, listen, I said, I, I, I don't think you're going to last three months there because mm. they're going to start hounding you. You're going to have to go to meetings. You're working for dude. You've made tens of millions of dollars. Why would you ever do what anyone else says ever again in your life? Unless it's the uh, the man and you've got to abide by their laws, dude. Like other than that, why would you ever show up anywhere except when you felt like it? Why would you ever say yes, sir, to someone unless you felt like doing that? Yeah. If that was part of your foreplay. Yeah. Why would else would you do it? Somebody says, oh, we're going to meet here. No, we're not. Why? Because I'll be there at four. That's when we're meeting there. Oh, well, the thing was, at three. I'll be there at four. Okay, I guess we're meeting it for it. Yeah, or else I won't be there. I don't care. It would be great. You do whatever you want. Your kid says, oh, you know what? I've really always wanted to go and see the Grand Canyon. We'll go tomorrow. I'm not talking about going and buying a Bentley. I would never buy a Bentley regardless of how much money I had. I'm not talking about you know going and, and, and spending millions and millions of dollars on a home. I don't need that. But I do want some peace and quiet. I don't want to hear, I don't want to hear my neighbors. So I'll buy land that gets me far enough away from my neighbors. That I'm not going to hear them, but like, it's just, it's, it, I just don't understand what, and people, they don't, they don't know how it's like, all I do is think about the fun things that I could do if I didn't have to worry about money. And maybe this comes from growing up. You, you grew up, you know, strapped for cash. And I, I don't, I don't think, you know, I think we have that in common, to a certain degree, my mom was an English teacher at a high school. I think she made 15 K. Yeah. I mean, it was nothing. She made nothing. Sorry, mom, if that's wrong, <laughs> but she didn't make enough that we, we could, we lived in the crappiest apartments in the worst area of Philadelphia. And she was working in addition to teaching high school, she was working at an Artie's, which was this clothing, like department, not department stores, like a, like a, I was like a crappy little department store type thing. 
in 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 this crappy part of uh, Center City. Now, Center City now is like this thriving, amazing community. But back then, like this was a dangerous place to go. And like there were multiple people getting mugged like as she was leaving work all the time. And so like that was part of why we went up. But main reason why we wound up moving to Florida is because my grandparents were there and they're like, we can help you guys out if you if you move here. And so we finally moved. But she was like, we were struggling all the time when I was a kid. And so all I've done my whole life is not ever want to be in that situation, not ever want to have to raise my kids in a situation where uh, financially I could be in trouble. So I won't rest until I'm, until that's insured. And so for me, like going on an adventure would, that would potentially jeopardize my ability to provide, I won't do it. It's easy to say no. Well, it's easy to not go to the Primus uh, concert. This is the this is the the thing, right? I, we didn't have a lot of money, and my mom was absolutely terrified that we were going to fall out of the bottom of the world. She, yeah. She'd grown up, you know, uh, like hard scrabble, and they were, um, you know, and and for much of her life, effectively an orphan who was sort of worked by her grandparents as a, as a house servant. Mm -hmm. And so she had this single minded focus on, um, providing for us. So we would not want, right. And what it meant was she worked 60, 70 hour weeks. And my sister, my sister and I kind of like just fended for ourselves. Certainly emotionally we did. Yeah. Um, and for whatever reason, both Susan and I have lived our lives this way, which is, I mean, in, in college, I used to hear this a lot that, and it, and it's a common justification for people that graduate from college and get a job at a stock brokerage, even though they have mm. liberal sensibilities. <laughs> right. And they say, well, you know, I would rather, I, what I need to do is make a bunch of money. And then I'll retire early and devote myself to helping the poor or clean water in Africa or something. And I always felt then, even in my early twenties, like, well, if you want to help the poor or have clean water in Africa, you could just go do that. Now you don't need to go make a million dollars and do it. It seems like it's certainly you are, you'd be, you could just get on a plane right now and go spend your life putting clean water in Africa or helping and so it feels like a little bit of a fake goal to me. Um, you're just trying to justify wanting to make a million dollars. You have no intention or you don't give a shit about clean water in Africa. And that was, that was always a complaint that I had about people that postponed doing what they wanted to do. Because as you know, Dan, I think money is fake for the most part. Mm-hmm. No, it is fake. But like, for instance, but I mean, it's fake in the, but we all believe it. We all, believe so it, it makes it real. We all believe it. That's you know, right. If, yeah. Um, we, uh, so, so earlier this, just a few weeks ago, a friend of mine, I mean, this has been in the works for a long time, but a few weeks ago, a friend of mine said, uh, you know, we had this motorcycle plan <clears throat> that this year we were going to do our week long motorcycle trip, which now I guess is a tradition. I did it once and now it's a tradition. We're going to go to Eastern Oregon and 
I and this group of 10 motorcycle experts are going to drive around Eastern Oregon, going to all the volcanoes and, and driving up mountains and stuff. And I'm like, Oh, great. And he said, but we're, but I have to move it a week. We've been planning this thing for six months, but I have to move it a week up because I've been invited to do the Pikes peak hill climb Hmm. on my custom made BMW stainless steel motorcycle. And you know, that's a prestigious race. So I have to move it up. And fortunately, a lot of the main players in this motorcycle trip are able to say like, oh, okay, we're doing it a week earlier. Like we'll just move stuff around. And I too was able to do it. So what had been on our, all of our calendars for a long time, the second week of June. Oh, I'm sorry. What had been on our calendars a long time, the third week of June got moved to the second week of June. Well, the first week of June, I'm doing uh, a little podcast tour of my podcast friendly fire, testing it out. I've never done a podcast tour, just testing it, testing the waters. And then I'm going to max fun con. So I'm gone the whole first week of June. Now the second week of Mm -hmm. June, I'm now going on this motorcycle trip around Oregon. Well, so my daughter's mother hears that and says, well, I'm going to be in Scotland the second week of June. And, you know, our, our young daughter has grown up this way. And so we said to her, uh, looks like mom and dad are going to be gone second week of June. And she was like, great. I get to go to Bellingham and have granddad cater to my every whim for a week. Like she will not miss us. So. Uh, my daughter's mother says, I'm going to be in Scotland the week that you're on your motorcycle trip. It seems dumb for me to just be in Scotland and then come home. Why don't you and our daughter fly to Europe on the third week of June now that you're free and we'll go do something in Portugal or something. And I said, well, as much as I like Portugal, I've been to Portugal a lot of times. Mm-hmm. feels like, what are we going to do there? We're going to go down to the Algarve and go hang out on the beach. And she said, well, what do you want to do? And I said, well, why don't we go to the Baltic States? I've never been to the Baltic States. Well, she is an active person who gets things done. And just one night we were sitting around and she said, sit down on the couch and buy some tickets to Latvia. And I said, well, that seems kind of bold. And she was like, let's do it now. If we're, if we don't do it now. So we sat on the couch and at one o'clock in the morning, we bought tickets to Latvia. And then we were like, well, how do, what are we going to do? How do we get around the trains in the Baltics? Aren't very good. And I said, well, why don't we rent a car? She said, great. So then we were going to be in the Baltic States for a week driving around. And then because she is a, she's like, you know, life is a vacation. She said, this isn't long enough. And so we called the airline the following day and said, we would like to be in the Baltic States for 10 days, not six days. Mm-hmm. We changed our tickets. So now all the way to July 3rd, we're going to be driving around the Baltic States, a place where we have no connections and we don't know any, we don't really know anything. So now I'm only going to be home in my, in Seattle for one day in June. And most of these 
adventures are things I think that normally you would not undertake unless you had planned them a long time out. Like this is something we've been working toward for a long time. Right. But for whatever reason, all this stuff happened. It, you know, some of these things were on the calendar, but they kind of moved around and it all just kind of came together. And now I'm on what, what you could reasonably call like a little bit of a work trip that just tumbles into one sort of adventure vacation after another. And none of it's really expensive. You know, like you can rent a car in the Baltics for a week for a couple hundred bucks. Wow. And the plane tickets are a little bit of money, but you know, it's not, I'm sure there, uh, there are people listening to the program who are like not expensive, but the primary expense is taking that much time off of work. You know what I mean? Like the, like I, I work definitely and I make money and I've arranged it so that I don't work all day and that I can take time off when I need, but I don't have the expense really of, of going to a boss and asking them for three weeks off. I, I write you and I say, Dan, we've got to do some roadworks. We've got to figure out a way that road work is going to continue while I'm gone. Right. And you go, well, yeah, but that would, you know, I hate you. And so I don't want to reschedule and I have to navigate it. I have to call Hattie and ha- I've never said that. And Hattie will tell you, I have never said Hattie that. will say, here's what's happening, Dan. And you mm-hmm. know, and when Hattie says something to you, you generally, you don't, you don't question it. Well, she's the boss. Yeah. You don't question it. Like you question it with me, but I have no idea. I didn't plan it. You know, I did not sit down at the beginning of this year and say, I would like to be gone all of June. And yet at the end of it, it will seem like it was all planned. And it's the, it's an example of the type of thing that people go, wow, that seems fun. And it did, it was not a thing that I had to work for 30 years to afford. It was Mm -hmm. the type of thing that I've worked 30 years to be able to do. But that has been more about making choices about what I will and will not do. You know what I mean? Like if I sold a company for $20 million, I would not go back to work on Monday. And in a way I did do that. It just wasn't $20 million. 